Hello, I'm Sean Baker, Festival and Creative Director for Margaret River Readers and Writers Festival. And this is a very special edition of the Readers and Writers podcast. Now, just before the festival this year, we teamed up with our good friends at Radio Margaret River to record a series of interviews with our festival authors. And we'll be sharing these wonderful interviews with you over the next couple of months. This episode, we are joined by the charming Chris Flynn, author of the delightful, weird, wonderful and laugh out loud funny Mammoth. Now, if you haven't had a chance to read Mammoth yet, we highly recommend you dash out and grab a copy as it will brighten even the darkest of days. Chris is joined on air by our interviewer, Michelle Wright. Hi, Chris Flynn. I'm Michelle from Arts Market River. I'm the general manager down here. I just thought I'd take a couple of moments to have a chat with you before we actually get to the Readers and Writers Festival next week, which I believe you'll be at. I will be that. I'm looking forward to getting there. Yes. Never been. So you've never been to Margaret River? I've never been to WA. Oh, <laughs> good. Well, we will welcome you, even if you are turning up on a motorbike. <laughs> How did you know that? Yes. I know it's all true. things. Yeah, it's true. I'm flying in to um, dirty old Perth and then um, getting out of there on two wheels, um, hiring a motorbike, because any excuse to... Ride a motorbike, I'll take it. Yeah, well, it's a three-hour journey, so by car. Mm. So your book is an incredibly funny and uplifting book dealing with uh, extinction theories, climate change, and a whole raft of heavy topics. But for me, it was probably one of the funniest reads I've had in a while. I, in fact, actually spat my tea out at one point when I was reading it. I was laughing so hard. <laughs> so I really want to start with, you know, what was it about the prehistoric era that caught your imagination? I've always kind of been fascinated, you know, um, but then I had read some letters that President Thomas Jefferson had written. He was a man who wrote a lot of a lot of letters back in the days when I suppose people did that. Um, and in a new batch of his letters was, was released about 10 years ago, and in amongst them was this strange little letter that he had written to Captain Merriweather Lewis of the, the Lewis and Clark expedition. And he said, while you're out there, um, going through the wilderness looking for for a passage to the northwest, if you wouldn't mind bringing back some mammoth bones, I would appreciate it. Or even better, if you could um, shoot a live mammoth, that would be great. Um, and this really caught my imagination. I thought, it's strange. Why was the president so fascinated with mammoth bones? And why did he believe they still existed? Um, and at that time, in the early 1800s, people didn't really know what was out there whether dinosaurs or, or megafauna were still lived. And they were digging them up and not really knowing what they were. It was the first time when they were identifying dinosaurs, digging them up. So a real period of change in history. And that sort of captured my imagination um, when I heard about the natural history auction in 2007, you know, fast forward 200 years, um, where they were selling um, dinosaur bones like a, a pterodactyl, a tyrannosaurus, mammoth itself, um, the hand of an Egyptian mummy, real auction in New York. And I thought, oh, wouldn't it be funny if the mammoth bones were the same ones that were dug up 200 years ago at the behest of the president and what's been going on since? Mm. So, and I'm glad you said the, the word funny because did you always intend the story to be so funny? I mean, I know you've said like a lot of the Australian writing can be quite drab and, and dark and, and stuff, but your delivery is just constantly has this punch point of humour. It is, a, it is something that I think about, I must admit. Um, I was in my local bookshop here in Phillip Island this morning and I'm um, chatting to Lois who runs it and someone walked in, customer, and said, 
Uh, I'm sick of all the um, all the grim uh, crime stories. Can you recommend something funny? And then the two of us stood there and thought, well, what could we actually recommend that's funny? <laughs> and we ended up recommending, well, Lois recommended my book or something by Don French. Um, there, there wasn't much selection. And um, so that frustrates me a little bit because I'm a great reader and I'd like to see more um, humour appear in books because I think, you know, our daily lives are peppered with humour. We're always trying to make each other laugh and bantering with each other and, you know, taking the mickey out of each other. So um, it was a point of pride for me to do that in a book. I, I find it difficult being Irish to not um, take the piss all the time. So um, when when the creatures in the auction were talking to each other, it just seemed natural to me that they would be irritated with each other and be in competition with each other and tear strips off each other. So the banter helped me tell the story. And I also kind of believe that if you're trying to convey quite a serious message, um, such as you know, the, the perils of climate change, um, the extinction of species, the loss of biodiversity, those topics can be so dry and boring and we can't really afford them to be. Um, so I think if you make people laugh and make people smile, then they're much more likely to listen to you. I couldn't agree more. I noticed that, um, I mean, I'm going to just jump in and say Orson Welles here, but... Um, did your characters, because they are uh, all quite unique, come from the story being formed or had you just come upon them as they changed while you wrote? Um, well, the characters were kind of chosen for me by the the things that were on sale at the auction. Um, and then I, can't, then I had, I was presented with this, you know, terrible problem of how do I give them a personality and what would that be and how would they talk? How can how will they be different from each other? It helped that I decided to um, ascribe them a personality based on roughly the era in which they were unearthed. So the mammoth was dug up in about 1800. So he's about 200 years old. Speaks like quite a stuffy, um, pompous American gentleman, whereas the Tyrannosaurus was only dug up in, in, the, in the 1990s. So speaks a bit like uh, the actor Keanu Reeves from one of those 90s action movies. Um, but what was immense fun for me was when the audiobook was produced um, because they got this voice actor, Rupert Degas. I didn't think they'd be able to do it. I thought, how on earth is he going to do all these voices? And funny you mentioned Orson Welles because that's exactly whom he based the voice um, of the mammoth on, Orson Welles. And it's eerie listening to it and it fits perfectly. So the, the, they're, these animals have taken on a personality you know, quite outside of me now. It's it's joyful for me to listen to the audiobook and see it see their um, their characters interpreted. No, that's understandable, and I'm sure they're going to be interpreted by many people, even if they have the audiobook or they actually read the paper version. Mm. Um, mm. In our office, we've all read the book, um, and uh, we all have our favourite characters. Chance is obviously T Bar, which she thinks is a cool dude, and I bought her a little T Bar for Christmas, so it's in the office. <laughs> Um, I don't know which character I love the most, um, but do you have a favourite? Um, I have a soft spot for the penguin, um, mainly because he's this sort of irascible um, Bostonian. Well, he's not really, he's from the Antarctic, but um, his fossil was carried off to a bar in Boston and hung over the bar for um, 100 and something years. And um, in the audiobook, he speaks a lot like the American comedian Bill Burr, 
and it's very funny to hear that interpretation. And it just seems so. I, I like him because it seems so alien to me. I I'm still sort of scratching my head how I managed to create a character like that. Um, one of the funny things about this book is that I'm not really in it anywhere. And you know, usually whenever uh, any author writes a book, you can sort of sometimes sense which character is similar to them, or you can see them come through. And I just, I'm just not there. And um, it's quite a feat, really, to write yourself out of, of any narrative. But I'm pleased that I consciously did that um, because it means I can sort of appreciate the characters, even though apparently I created them. It doesn't seem like I did. They, they seem to exist in their own world. No, it, and it does seem quite right that you've actually taken aspects of actually theory because I believe almost almost 80% of the book is based in fact. So you've actually That's right. That's pulled, right. pulled these pieces together and then created something which is marvellously uplifting. I do have a question. Um, yes. With the Siberian permafrost, is it mm-hmm. actually true that they found um, a mammoth that has oozing some kind of blood or something and they took oh, DNA? it sure is. It sure is. You can you can watch um, documentary footage on YouTube of it. Um, the permafrost has been melting for a while, and there's um, you know about a million dead mammoths in there, and so they're all thawing out. And it's totally legal in Russia, of course, to just pick pick up their bones or their or their tusks. And so people go out um, when this when the ice is thawing every year, um, tusk hunters to because it's ivory their um, their tusks. Um, but they're finding absolutely complete specimens in there. And you can see this incredible footage of the specimen they find. It's sort of thawing out. It's still got fur, sinew, flesh. And in fact, as they're cutting it, it starts to bleed. Mm. And so they actually have viable DNA from this because they've got you know, genuine blood. And one of the men who's on site, he immediately cuts off a chunk of flesh, raw flesh, and eats it because he wants to be the first person in 10,000 years to have eaten mammoth. Wow. Didn't, didn't even bother checking to see if it had any parasites or anything, just put it in his mouth. Okay. Well, I'm not sure if I'm going to look for that bit, but I'll look for the rest of it. So obviously, it's incredible, yeah. yeah. You're coming to us at Margaret River Readers and Writers Festival next week, um, and we're mm-hmm. looking forward to having you there. And I know that you're going to be in roles of both uh, interviewer and interviewee. Um, who yeah. are you looking forward to uh, talking with? Well, I'm interviewing uh, three people. It's something I've been doing for a few years, and I really enjoy that when I come to festivals. Um, I'd probably much rather interview someone else than talk about my, my own work, but there you go. Um, so I'm interviewing Ian Ryan, who's done a book called The Spiral, um, which is this super bizarre thriller that is that harks back to those choose-your-own-adventure novels um, from our youth, you know, where you where the narrative branches off according to your um, choices. And I'm interviewing Kate Mildenhall, who's written a, one of the, my favourite books of last year, The Mother Fault, which is a sort of future-set Australian thriller. And then, of course, the big cheese, um, Andrew O'Hagan, who wrote Mayflies, and he's been up to the Booker Prize a bunch of times, and um, I think he's beaming in from Scotland. I know, London, maybe he's Scottish, but he lives in London. And I've been corresponding with him a little bit, and... Um, that seems unreal to have an email from him in my my inbox. So I'm um, pretty stoked that I'm able to interview three very different people and three very different books that sort of speaks to the excitement of it all for me. Yeah, I mean, that's really part of our festival this year is, is branching out on that. And I have read all three of those books and I can 
totally agree with the, uh, the take you've taken on them. But just I'm thinking for a last question for you, if there was one message that you wanted as a takeaway from Mammoth, what would that be? It's tempting to say um, humans are stupid. <laughs> but um, it's that we should probably um, think a little bit more carefully about our relationship with the natural world and not separate ourselves from it. We have a bit of a tendency to elevate ourselves above everything else in nature as if we're in charge, as if we are the, um, the top of the pyramid. But really, it's not really a pyramid at all. Um, it, um, it's a big circle and we're all part of it and we're animals too and I think it would behoove us to remember that sometimes. Well, that's an excellent thing to end on, Chris. Thank you so much for your time and we all look forward to seeing you next week. Be safe. No worries. Thank you very much. I'm, I'm dying to get there. <laughs> so that's all we have time for today. Please download, like, share, send us your thoughts. We'd love to hear from you. Bye for now.